Today we continue in our series in the book of Jonah. Last week, Pastor Mike began in chapter 1, where we found that God had a message of judgment and salvation for the Assyrian people, who were an enemy nation of the Israelites. And so God calls Jonah, a prophet, to go and confront the Assyrians so that they will repent and turn to God and receive the gift of salvation. But Jonah's hyper-nationalism and racism fuels a hatred against his enemies. And it drives Jonah in the opposite direction of the Assyrian nation and the city of Nineveh. Jonah wants nothing to do with God's plan and purposes if it means interacting with and helping his enemies. So instead, Jonah hops on a ship to get away from God, and in a violent storm out in the middle of the ocean, he ends up being tossed overboard by a pagan crew. Chapter 1 ends with Jonah's hatred so consuming him that he chooses death by drowning over being a part of God's plan and calling for him to intervene and potentially help save his enemies. Friends, Jonah is a person that we need to wrestle with. This is not a fairy tale uh, story with a happy ending. Jonah is not aligned with God's heart, and yet God insists on calling Jonah to be a spokesperson for what will be the greatest mass conversion recorded in the Old Testament. One commentator puts it this way, describing Jonah, saying that it's like the scene of four or five inches of snow falling on top of a garbage dump. From a distance, it looks inviting, but when you climb on it and begin to dig beneath those surface of the snow, you begin to find something very unpleasant. So what do we do with a person or a story that God chooses to preserve in Scripture for all generations, including ours, and yet it actually repels us rather than invites us, attracts us to want to come and sit and learn from it? Friends, Jonah is that discipleship conundrum. So let's pick up where Pastor Mike left off. Turn with me in your Bible or on your device to the very end of Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. And then we'll go from there right into chapter 2. Jonah's just finished telling the ship's crew out in the midst of the violent storm that he's the reason the storm is about to destroy the whole ship and kill them all. God's punishing him for his outright disobedience. And Jonah says, I'm guilty. Throw me overboard. He doesn't repent. He doesn't promise to obey if God calms the storm and saves all of them. Now he is merciful to the pagan sailors by taking himself out of the picture so that they can live. But ultimately Jonah is not going to Nineveh. So he chooses to go overboard fully knowing what awaits you when you go overboard in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a violent storm. God, however, has a more benevolent plan. 
Let's start in verse 17 of chapter 1. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to his God from inside the fish. Chapter 2. He cried, he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercy. But not me. I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. I don't know about you, but when there's a story about a fish eating a man who survives in that fish's belly for three days and three nights, you would think that the main focus or the main character in the story is either the fish or the man or a combination. But earlier I said that this scene, this part of Jonah's life that we have in the book of Jonah is not what we want to emulate our lives after. Remember, Jonah's a hyper-nationalist, a racist Jew who doesn't want anything to do with any other nation. They're all enemies, and he'd rather never talk to them, see them, be involved with them. He probably would outright say, I'd rather they be dead. And he defies God to the extreme when God asks him to go to one of those nations. So Jonah is definitely not primary model that we want to emulate. As for the fish, we don't know very much about the fish. We know two things. We know it was large enough to swallow a man, and we know that it was obedient. It obeyed God's commands. So the primary focus in the book of Jonah is not the imagination capturing fish, and it's not even the author, the prophet himself, Jonah. The focus is actually God who persistently moves towards love and mercy and redemption, even when people think he's wrong to do that. And we see this God counterwoven throughout the prayer of Jonah. Let's take a, a deeper look at Jonah's prayer. As we read what flows out of Jonah's heart, we see a self-focused prayer of desperation and preservation. Inside the fish, Jonah begins his prayer by recounting the distress of what just happened to him. His experience of drowning as he sank to the bottom of the ocean. 
He even uses language to suggest that it was actually God who caused him to be thrown overboard. It was God who caused him to be drowning. When actually it was Jonah himself who made that choice. Earlier I said that Jonah would have taken death over repentance. But when he was actually faced with that reality, his human instinct, his fight or flight mode kicks in and he has a change of heart and he cries out to God as he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And God is merciful and God saves him and puts him in the belly of a fish. And Jonah gives thanks for that and continues on in his prayer. But notice that we don't read that Jonah repents from his disobedience and his hatred. Jonah's heart actually responds in his prayer from a place of what have you done for me lately, God? In other words, he's thinking, I know that I can call out to you and that you'll hear my cry. I know this because mercifully you just saved me from impending death. So because of that, I'm going to give thanks to you. But what Jonah doesn't do is make a connection with God's heart for him. God's actually pursuing Jonah. God actually wants to engage with Jonah in a no-strings-attached, merciful, loving, eternal way. Even in the face of death, we see that the condition of Jonah's heart doesn't change at its core. You see, Jonah's a man who's driven by the Old Testament law and the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's not motivated by God's grace and love. His relationship with God is focused on the temple and on the Old Testament laws that govern his relationship with a holy God. We see it in verses 4 and 7. We see it in verses 8 and 9 where he distinguishes himself from the non-Israelites. Jonah's language in the prayer is not that of an open, uh, vulnerable child coming to Abba, Father. Rather, it's a very contractual tone. God, we agreed to this, and I'm going to remind you about our agreement, what we agreed to. And Voskamp says that grace flies in the face of logic and wraps us in the arms of unexpected love. Friends, Jonah wants nothing to do with that kind of foolishness. That's crazy talk in Jonah's world. He is fully entrenched in a legalistic relationship with God and with other people, which includes very clear dividing lines of who's in and who's out. We'll see in the next chapter that Jonah does obey God and he does end up going to those who are out, the Ninevites, as God commands him to. But we're going to see that at the end of this chapter in verse 10, where the fish is commanded to spit Jonah up, we're going to see in the immediate following verses next week that God still has to command Jonah again, go to Nineveh. In other words, while he's in the fish, while he's praying, Jonah's engagement with God doesn't transform his heart to mirror God's heart. Rather, Jonah obeys God because he has two cognitions. He realizes that he can't outrun God and he doesn't want to tr die trying. 
And second, God saved his life, so he should do something in response to that. He should listen to what God's asking him to do. So Jonah doesn't really change very much after three days and three nights in the fish. But thankfully, God doesn't change at all during that time. God's love and mercy will accomplish his redemptive purposes. Which is what other writers in the Old Testament, like the psalmists, understood. You see, Jonah's prayer is actually very, very similar in, in wording and in syntax with other psalms in the Old Testament. It's a sign that Jonah knows the Old Testament framework that he, that he lives within. And he knows it well. Where Jonah diverges from the Old Testament psalmist that he is trying to emulate in his writings is that his focus in his prayer is on himself rather than on God's ways and God's purposes. Jonah's tone is not towards vulnerability and repentance. He's not seeking out God's love and mercy and grace. All things that we find in the psalmist's writings. At in verses 7 and 9 where Jonah says that by praying to God, he's doing the right thing. Unlike the pagans, unlike the Assyrians in Nineveh. He's saying, remember me, God, because look how good I'm doing. After he's done praying, it says in verse 10, simply that God commands the fish to spit Jonah up onto the beach, back into the land of the living. But even here, friends, I don't think that God's action of putting Jonah back on land is a direct response to Jonah's prayer. I believe that God is seeing a bigger picture than what the text reveals to us. And that God is not working with Jonah from a, what have you done for me lately? Oh, you prayed a prayer? Okay, then I'm going to spit you out kind of mindset. God's plan has always been to get Jonah to Nineveh. God's plan is for Jonah to become merciful and loving like he is. But after the fish spits Jonah up, we'll see again at the start of chapter 3 and then again in chapter 4 that Jonah's heart stays unchanged toward his enemies. And in fact, we're going to find out in a couple weeks that Jonah's heart actually hardens even more so toward God. Which is why I believe that God is playing in his mercy a long game in Jonah's life. And we aren't privy to how that ends beyond chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. So if that's the case, then what does God's long game look like? What's God's heart for the Assyrians? What's God's heart for those pagan sailors? What's God's heart for Jonah? And what's God's heart for those of us who read this story today? Within and between the lines of Jonah's prayer, we're drawn to God. We're drawn to God's heart for all of sinful humanity. And God's heart for us looks like this. First of all, no matter who you are, God hears your cry for help. God, loving and merciful, answers despite our human guilt. 
God answers in spite of the judgment that we deserve. To rescue us from impossible situations, both externally and internally, inside the things that are going on within us. You see, God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't base his ways on our comfort or on our perspective. God perseveres with us despite our sin and our rebellion. And God engages us to win our loyalty and our gratefulness. But ultimately, God engages with us and hears our cries so that we will become like him. So that we will become loving and merciful as he is. Friends, Jonah's prayer is not recorded in history for us as a model to emulate in our prayer lives. Rather, we have it for two reasons. First, we have it to signal our, our human condition. Self-centered. Rebellious. Sinful. Falling short of a holy God. Prone to wanting to run away, move away from who God is. Now Jonah, to his credit, doesn't just move away from God. He actually has a cycle of disengaging from God and then re-engaging and then disengaging and then re-engaging. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. And the second reason we have this prayer, this book recorded for us, and most important reason, is that it's a signal toward God. It's a signal to remind us of who God is. At no point is God ever done with Jonah. Not even once. Not even after this prayer that misses the mark. God in his mercy endures and perseveres with Jonah so that Jonah can come to know God's heart. A heart that says no one, absolutely no one, is beyond God's merciful and loving reach. You see, God are in, uh, and Jonah are in an all too familiar back and forth engagement. God's playing a long game that's based in his love and mercy and his redemptive plan. Jonah, like most of us, is fighting God, struggling to align his heart with God's heart, struggling to get his will to line up with God, what God's calling him to. Friends, what can we do when we're in that back and forth when, with God? When we're in Jonah's place? Don't run. Pray. Engage God. You don't have to have the perfect prayer. You don't have to even have the right prayer. What you need to do is engage him and wrestle with him. Talk to him. Be candid. Be vulnerable. Be honest with your thoughts and your emotions and your words. Engage him. Don't determine in your heart that you're done with God, that you've got nothing left to say to him, that you don't ever want to speak his name again. Because friends, God 
in his limitless love and grace is never done pursuing and shaping you. Jonah is preserved in scripture to remind us of who God is. This God, a merciful, loving, gracious God who was never done with Jonah and who is never done with you.